Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Who are these 12 guys? They're ordinary, unschooled. How can they be changing the world? That's God's way. Now, how about today? Has God's principle changed? No. Look around you. He uses common, ordinary, blue-collar people, doesn't he? He just uses average people. That's all any of us are. So the people can say, I wonder why that church is going. I wonder why that's happening. I wonder why that... Well, it isn't because of any of us. It's because of God. Because you look at us and say, it couldn't be because of them. And you're right. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a story of a boy who had a mute spirit. The father of this boy first approached the disciples, then Jesus. This is what Jesus said. If you can believe all things are possible to him who believes, then the boy's father cries out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The story goes on, Jesus commanded the spirit to come out of the boy. You see, as Christ followers, we must believe. If we don't believe, then we don't have trust. If we don't have trust in God and his word, then what do we have? You see, we can't trust in our own strength, abilities, or understanding. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 1, with part one of our message entitled, The World of Unbelief. this morning on the world of unbelief. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Now, we left Jesus in Mark chapter 5 in a chapter of great faith. Jesus cast out demons from one man, multiple demons. He also raised Jairus's daughter, 12-year-old daughter who was dead. It was kind of a spiritual high, tremendous chapter of faith. Now we enter chapter 6 of Mark. There weren't chapters, by the way, when the Bible was written. But this chapter initially is a chapter about the world of unbelief. We go from a spiritual high to spiritual low. Now, spiritual unbelief isn't new. started in the Garden of Eden, and by the way, it's still with us this morning right here. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Jesus left the home of Jairus in the Capernaum area and walked about 20 miles to the town where he grew up, Nazareth. Now, this is not the first time Jesus went to his hometown, actually the second time. And I want you to keep your finger there and turn forward to the book of Luke, and let's see what kind of reception he got the first time he went back to his town that he'd been raised in. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So this is what we're going to read now as Jesus' first time, and we'll see what kind of reaction he has. And then he's coming back again about a year later, which is where we are in chapter 4 of Mark, and see what kind of reaction he has this time. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, an Old Testament book, was handed to him. 
Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So the first time Jesus went back to the synagogue where he was raised, he got out the book of Isaiah and he read the prophecy of Isaiah of what the Messiah would do when he would come, what type of ministry he would have. They were familiar with that passage and then Jesus sat down and shocked him. And basically what he said is, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who has come to fulfill this prophecy. You're looking at the Messiah. Now, what kind of reaction did the people have in the synagogue? Let's look at verse 28. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. They were going to try to kill Jesus. But because his time hadn't come yet, God protected him. And the scripture says he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So the first time Jesus came to his hometown synagogue and shared with them that he was the Messiah, he was totally rejected by the whole town. They made fun of him. In fact, they were furious and they wanted to kill him. Now we're going to come a year later, one year after this first visit, and we're going to see what reaction Jesus has as he comes back to his hometown. I have five points for you if you're going to take notes this morning. And the first one is this. You'll see it on the overhead. God is the God of the second chance. So Jesus is coming back to the town that he was raised in, Nazareth, for a second time. Now why would you ever come back to a town where the first place you came to... People ridiculed you, wanted to kill you. Why, why would you want to even come back to that town? Well, the reason Jesus came back to that town, even after being so rudely treated and actually threatened for his life, the reason he came back was Jesus was God. And the Bible tells us that God is long-suffering, not willing that any perish. In other words, if you want to put it in today's language, God is a God with a long fuse. How many of you have a real short fuse? Come on, be honest. Doesn't take much, does A little spark and boof, off it goes. Aren't you glad God doesn't have a short fuse this morning? Had a long fuse. So God is the God of the second chance. Actually, he's not the God of the second chance. He's actually the God of the third and fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth. Amen? How many enjoy that this morning? Many times you've come back and you wondered, would God accept you? Yes, he will, because he's a God of grace and mercy. You see, during that last year from first visit to now, Jesus' popularity just blossomed. Everywhere he went, crowds followed him. There was tremendous excitement in his ministry. 
maybe the Jesus and the disciples thought, well, he's coming back now. The people have had a chance to hear about him. It isn't such a shock to them. Here's Jesus. This is going to be great. Well, let's see what kind of reception he had. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 2. Now, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they ask? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? So when Jesus came to his hometown, he didn't immediately go out in the street, but he waited until the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue. The synagogue was always the center of attraction where people would be. It'd be like this. If we didn't have a town square here, people would just come and mill around and you just have a good time. And it was a lot of excitement there. So Jesus came on the Sabbath where he was raised in this synagogue. And he came and no doubt the whole town turned out. Now when he taught, it says there the people were amazed. The Greek word for that amazed is astounded or overwhelmed at his teaching. You see, many times people teach... And their teaching is good because they give you knowledge. But Jesus did more than give knowledge. Jesus gave application of knowledge, which is called wisdom. You see, that's what our purpose is as we teach you. We're not really interested in you leaving and saying, I know the book of Mark, now I can quote the book of Mark. And that's good if you can do that. It's wonderful if you can do that. But what we want you to see as you leave is, here's the verses we read in Mark 6 this week. Here's the verses we're going to read in Mark 6 next week and the following week mark 7 and whatever is going and here's how i take those verses and apply it to my life you see life is to be lived knowledge only goes so far wisdom the whole book of proverbs is about wisdom wisdom is the application of true knowledge jesus did this it astounded the people because all they used to hear before was really kind of knowledge nobody could really apply it jesus applied it Secondly, it says they were amazed or overwhelmed because they heard of all his miracles. No doubt when he came into town, somebody said, you know, the last place Jesus was, he raised somebody from the dead. So they were astounded. Point number two this morning is God loves to use, yes, the overhead is right, blue-collar people. Now, you may be a surgeon or a lawyer or whatever this morning, but you're still blue-collar people to God. Look at verse 3. The people's reaction then was this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Now the reason most commentators believe it doesn't say Joseph's son, they probably believe Joseph had already died. Isn't this Mary's son? And, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't Jesus' sisters here with us in the synagogue? And it says, they took offense at him. And that word in the Greek means to cause to stumble, to be repelled. Now, in spite of Jesus' impressive words and the wonderful miracles he was doing, when the people looked at Jesus, he was just too ordinary for them. Isn't this the carpenter was really a question that implied, wait a minute, this Jesus is a common laborer. Like the rest of us. We know his family, his mother, his brothers, the sisters of Jesus. He's just an ordinary person. This couldn't be the Messiah. Why did they think that? Well, you see, 
In the time when Jesus lived, Israel was under the bondage of Rome. Rome had power worldwide. And Israel was just a puppet under Rome. And the Jews were looking for a Messiah to come, who number one would be raised in a royal family, kind of like in England. And he would be well known. He would have great pedigree. He would be highly educated. And when he came, they would acknowledge him because of his clothes and what he came from. And he would come and free Israel from the bondage of Rome. That's what they were looking for. Now before them stood a humble servant, Jesus. No rabbi education at all. Came from a common family, the family they knew in the town. Was born in a town called Nazareth, which had the reputation in Jesus' time of this. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It would be like the bad side of town. So before them was this human man, and they couldn't get past this view that God could ever use somebody like that Jesus to be the Messiah. Couldn't be the Messiah. In fact, when they looked at Jesus, probably some of them said, you know, the stool in my kitchen was made by this guy. He and his dad 12 years ago made my stool. In fact, they made the table that we eat at. That's the Messiah? No way that's the Messiah. And see, Jesus' humanity stumbled the Jews because they were only looking at the outward appearance of who they expected the Messiah to be. Now, to be honest, if the Jews who had been taught the Old Testament every week, if they'd thought back to the Old Testament examples of who God would choose, they would see that God always loved to choose blue-collar, ordinary people. Now, keep your finger there in Mark and turn back to the book of 1 Samuel. And we'll just take an illustration this morning from the Old Testament. 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verse 1. In the Old Testament, God had chosen a nation called Israel. And he was trying to bring the Messiah through Israel to be the Savior of the world. And Israel were God's people. And the Old Testament is a story of their failures and their successes. And Israel, seeing all these foreign nations that serve pagan gods, have kings, said to God one day, we want a king. They weren't happy with God's rulership of them. So God said, okay, and he gave them a king called King Saul. And king Saul did good initially, but then King Saul decided he was going to rule the kingdom instead of God. And the Bible says God rejected King Saul. Now, in those days, you didn't hear the word of the Lord. Only certain people would hear the word of the Lord. Only certain people were anointed. They weren't days like we enjoy today. And God would speak in those days through a prophet, a man that he would raise. And in this particular story, the prophet's name is Samuel. So we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1, when God comes to Samuel and gives him instructions. And he says this, The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for King Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Now fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I have chosen one of his sons to be king. 
So God came to Samuel and said, You know I've rejected King Saul. Why are you moping around? I've chosen another king. Go to Bethlehem. Go to the house of Jesse. And I will show you who the new king of Israel is going to be. Let's skip on down to verse 6. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Elah. This is the first son of Jesse. And he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now what you're going to see this morning is that when Samuel arrives in the house, you're going to kind of see like a Miss America contest, but it's more a Mr. America contest. All the sons are going to kind of stand in a row and Samuel's going to say, hmm, I think that's going to be the one God's going to choose. And he's going to go down through the line. So you'll see this. So when he gets there, the oldest son is there with the most wisdom probably, probably a good looking guy or whatever. And Samuel goes, hmm, looks like Elab's going to be the one God's chosen. It looks pretty good to me. Verse 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, and this is a principle you're going to read here that has never changed from God. Do not consider his appearance or his height. I like that. <laughs> For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, what God was saying was this. In our natural way, we always look and say, if the guy's 6'8", and he's got money, and came from a good home, and drives a nice car, and whatever, they're going to be successful in business. Well, this is the world's thing. And this is what the people were doing at the time of Jesus. They were looking at Jesus and saying, doesn't fit the bill physically. Couldn't be the right one. Wrong pedigree here. Couldn't be. And so God said to Samuel, you're making mistakes, Samuel, by looking at this man with natural eyes. That is not a man of faith. Let's read on. So then Jesse called Abinadab, the next son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shamrah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. So now Jesse's getting nervous. There's seven sons that he sees here, and they're all passing in front of him, and God hasn't picked any of the seven. Now if you're there, you're a little nervous too. Did I miss God? What happened here? So verse 10 says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So Jesse, you can imagine him asking kind of shyly to Jesse, are these all the sons you have? <laughs> Is there anybody else? Because I've run the gamut and there's nobody here that God wants. And what's interesting as he says this, the father responds, well, there is still the youngest. Notice the youngest. Jesse answered, but really, he's not even in the house. He's tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Verse 12, so he sent and had him brought in and he was ruddy. Now that doesn't mean he had bad complexion. That means he had kind of a reddish hair and with a fine appearance and handsome features. See, you don't have to be ugly to be used by God. <laughs> All right, we won't go there. All right. You can be short and still good looking and be used by God. <laughs> and the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for he's the one. You see, God looked past the youth, the shepherd, and he saw a heart after God. Now there's another time, even before this, 
that the enemy would always come and steal the grain of Israel. They'd come in, make a raid, steal the grain back, steal the animals, steal the cows, steal the sheep, everything. And into that land, the Midianites would come, the Amalekites, and Israel was afraid of the enemies because they weren't obeying God to turn the time of the judges. There was a little boy, actually a young man by the name of Gideon, and he was thrashing wheat down in a wine press to be hidden from the enemy. And one day the angel of the Lord came to Gideon and said, Oh, Gideon, man of valor. And Gideon went like, hello, are you talking to me? And the angel of the Lord said, yes, you. I'm going to use you to defeat the enemy. Now, when that happened, here was Gideon's response. Well, you picked the wrong man because of the 12 tribes of Israel. Our tribe is the weakest. And of the people in our tribe, our family's the poorest. We have no talent. But see, God would say, no, I'm picking you because that's the kind of people I pick. Blue-collar people. See, the principle has never changed. Now, when we come to the New Testament, you say, well, has it changed? Look at the disciples. The disciples were just common, ordinary, blue-collar people. Never changed. That's who God used. We come to the book of Acts and the, the rulers of the Jews come and say, who are these 12 guys? They're ordinary, unschooled. How can they be changing the world? That's God's way. Now, how about today? Has God's principle changed? No. Look around you. He uses common, ordinary, blue-collar people, doesn't he? He just uses average people. That's all any of us are. So the people can say, I wonder why that church is going, I wonder why that's happening, I wonder why that... Well, it isn't because of any of us, it's because of God. Because you look at us and say, it couldn't be because of them. And you're right. Take your finger, go all the way over to Philippians. And we'll see that this was a picture of who Jesus would be. We'll see how plainly we can see this. Philippians chapter 2. Remember when you get to the epistles, it's General Electric Power Company. Okay? General, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians 2 verse 6. This is a picture of the nature of God. Who, being in the very nature God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made, this is Jesus, himself what? Nothing. Taking the very nature of who? A king? Of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found, how? In the appearance of a common, ordinary, blue-collar man. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So, as you flip back to Mark chapter 6, verse 4, what you see there is, Jesus was too common for the people to realize. And we come to a great principle in verse 4. Jesus knew what the response would be in Mark chapter 6, verse 4, and he says this, and Jesus said to them, when they responded that he couldn't be the Messiah, only in his hometown, among his relatives, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. You see, what Jesus was saying is, this isn't a new reaction. Because in the Old Testament, when prophets would come, the people would say, you can't be hearing from God. Samuel, you're hearing from God and many of the prophets. But this was true. In today's message, we learned that God can use anyone. He's not looking for the most well-spoken individuals. He's not looking for the most popular or the smartest. All he's looking for is someone who believes. 
someone who's willing to submit to his work of grace in their lives, someone who truly believes what it says in the book of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Mark will warn us against trying to accomplish the things of God in our own strength. You see, when we step foot into the world of ministry, sometimes we can run ahead of God. We use our own wisdom, ideas, and agendas. And before you know it, we're not even on the same path that God originally set us on. That's why we need to slow down and listen for His direction. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right.